0: You may have heard, Reed, that pumpkin spice lattes are being introduced earlier than ever before. How do you feel about that?
1: Uh, the PSL. Who's running this? Is it the same people that are running, like, Michael's and Hobby Lobby? Because, like, I'm tired of walking in, in, like, June and Christmas stuff is, like, coming out. And they're, like, Halloween's already, like, on sale. And I'm just not ready for it. It's not even September yet when we're recording this. Well, and here's the thing. Pick a path. Either just have it year-round or just do it during the season. But this like in-between, no-man's-land thing drives me bananas. What's the upside of waiting? I am so
0: behind this read. I have been waiting for someone to advocate for shamrock shakes year-round. Welcome to
2: Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts.
1: Welcome back to Touchpoint. Welcome back to episode 239, 239. Thanks again. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. And we're always so very appreciative of you uh, joining us each and every week. I'm happy to be here, Reed. I'm looking forward to drinking
0: one of those shamrock shakes that you (laughs) promised will be here all year round.
1: All year round. This is an interesting episode, an interesting topic, which we'll get more into. But in the spirit of being more efficient, I'm going to just kind of cut to the chase here. We would like for you to go to our website touchpoint.health. We want you to sign up for the TPS reports up there at the top. You Click on that. Give us your name and email address. We promise we will not sell that personal information to anyone. We are only going to use it to send you an email one time a week. Each Monday morning, you'll get an email from us, five articles to start your week. They're uh, cool articles and different things that uh, are aggregated by our show hosts and may help you as you kind of think about what's going on in the industry. And so, anyway, if you would sign up for the TPS report. While you're there, you can obviously find out more about this episode that you're listening to, the show that you're listening to. If it's your first time, welcome. And then also, you'll notice at the website, Touch One Health, there's a whole bunch of other shows. So, dig in, find different topics, search around, connect with those show hosts, and all that kind of fun stuff. So, we'll pause right here for just a minute and then be back with today's show.
0: and build a reputation that performs for you. Reed, last week we were we kind of briefly touched on it in the show last week around how digital transformation can sometimes impact physicians in a negative way, right? That it was kind of a burden. And it got me thinking about something that I think many of us at work in healthcare are thinking about uh, lately, which is the shortage of staff the challenges it is to keep your staff from burnout. And then today, just this morning, we're recording this on a Monday, we got the TPS report and there was an article in there called Workers are Epiphany Quitting Their Jobs After the Pandemic Forced Them to Rethink About Things in Their Lives. So we decided to really quickly kind of pull together a show to talk about this specifically.
1: Absolutely. And there, there's many other articles out there. I have several of them pulled up here in front of me. You know, America's Nursing Shortage is a Crisis in the Making, Training nurses to be leaders could solve it. How has COVID led to a surge in nursing applications? Working conditions understaffing is driving nurses to quit. As the pandemic uh, receives millions of workers are saying, I quit. So there's lots of these stories out there and these articles out there, right? And so I think it's interesting to kind of dig in here for a minute and like, you know, what does that mean to us in marketing communications, in our departments specifically, and, and certainly just within our organizations?
0: I would say that this employee crisis is impacting all sectors of our industry, yep. not just yep. nurses, right? I think when we look at people within our own departments, they're starting to also get a little bit burnt out, clearly, after dealing with communications about the pandemic over and over again for, I don't know how long it is now, right, 18 18- 20 months now that we've been dealing with this. It's happening all over the place. And and we're hearing about it from all of the people that we work with.
1: You know, what's interesting about this article, and again, we'll obviously, uh, if this is your first time listening, we'll post uh, links to all these articles we reference in the show notes. But, you know, workers are epiphany quitting their jobs, right? So this is an article from the Business Insider, Just the idea that it's forced uh, everybody to rethink their lives a little bit.
0: And now at the beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of people were realizing that there was going to be a lot of changes to the workforce and they kind of dug in and they held on to their jobs. And at least that's what they're alluding to. Of course, you know, we're talking about people within our industry that had careers. There was a a large number of people that actually outright lost their jobs at the beginning of the pandemic. But for those that kind of held on to their jobs, they kind of dug in, entrenched, and they, they tended to put in a lot of working hours, which is leading to this current situation where, according to this article, they said last month, 4 million Americans actively quit their jobs looking for a better one.
1: Maybe it's all just switch jobs. Just so everybody just kind of shuffle around. Maybe that is a good app for somebody to create, like, you know, if you want to swap jobs with someone. Job swap. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. But yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea of this article certainly is that people have reevaluated, you know what's important to them, looking at priorities in their lives, you know, what? What is important? What do they want to spend more time doing? Uh, what's important to them? Things like that.
0: You know, they call it pivoting from a constant fire environment to looking for things that are much bigger, different changes, right? You know, I look at my team that has been working through the pandemic. It has been twenty months of constant fire, so I can kind of understand that, right? It's been very, very difficult for many, many healthcare workers, particularly in the marketing communications department, because they're at the front line. And the anticipation now is to turn around things so quickly.
1: Yeah, it really is. It's funny. I, this made me think of, uh, uh, we had a client. I want to think early on in the pandemic, like maybe three or four five months in, something like that, that seemed at the time like we were Like this is pretty far into the pandemic, you know, but (laughs) this was like a year or more ago at this point. But we actually surveyed all their physicians. You know, we were trying to kind of get an idea of the thought and kind of how they felt, you know, how how well were they being supported by the organization and things like that. And I thought the most interesting stat, I had to go back and look. But one of the questions, you know, that we really asked them was, what were they doing about their future? What was their thought process pre-COVID? In post-COVID, which I I know is not really a thing, 47% of those who are now considering getting out of medicine, now these are physicians, almost half that are considering getting out of medicine were not considering it before COVID.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And now this is one organization. So, I mean, I'm not trying to make some blanket statement here. Where is your organization? What are people, you know, where are people's mindsets? I think it'll probably vary certainly across the country. But like, this is, you know, one pretty good organization kind of over on the East Coast, pretty good size organization over on the East Coast. You know, half those people that said like, yeah, I'm considering getting out of medicine altogether, not changing health systems, not going to a different physician practice, you know, not going into private practice versus the, you know, getting out of medicine altogether. A lot of time, effort, energy was put into where they are today. But half those folks uh, were not that that was not even a consideration. That to me is is not surprising because we hear about this, right?
0: And we see it, that sort of that kind of weariness of the pandemic of working these long hours, et cetera. But you know, for many of us that work in marketing communications, we're maybe not at the front lines. But what's happened to us is that we're working from home, Reed. And so there's sort of that blurring of the lines too of when you're working from home because now you're available. Always, it's kind of the expectation now. Is that since you don't have like an hour long commute to and from work or whatever it is, that hey, I send an email, you're going to respond back to it that quickly. If it's four in the morning or you know seven o'clock at night, we're we're kind of in always on
1: mode. I mean, go back and look at your calendar. You know, those of you that are listening and look how many calls and meetings you have during lunch now Mm -hmm. versus before. I mean, I you know my days are just full of just uh, calls all day long. And and I'm not complaining. I Don't get me wrong. I'm super fortunate and, and love the job that I have and the clients that I work with. But I think just the way we work, the way we think about work is just different.
0: It is. And plus, you know, we know about this. We're seeing uh, people that are, you know, and this, this article references it that there's other reasons that kind of compel people to make these decisions to uh, choose new careers. Now, I'm also thinking about Reed uh, recently, your organization, Gerard, sent out an email about Walkout Wednesday. In the middle hmm. of August, that was a, a protest against forced COVID vaccinations, which is yeah. something that also is happening in our industry where now COVID vaccinations are becoming mandatory across many of our organizations. And that's maybe another triggering point as to, well, I, I won't say that in general, but that's something that's we're being top of mind of when we think about our industry as
1: well, right? It's interesting because while a, a large number, like 1,500-ish you know, health systems require the vaccine for employees. Many don't. <clears throat> and it's certainly, even the ones that are not, they've had these conversations. It's not like this hasn't crossed their mind, right? Like, oh, I wonder if, you know, so again, hard decisions people are having to make. Uh, but what's interesting is even through some of our own polling data at Girard, it, it's shown that the public overwhelmingly supports in, in in really is advocating for vaccine mandates for healthcare workers. So, you know, eight out of ten folks would feel like that 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 is needed. We're not here. This is not going to be an episode talking about
0: vaccine mandates for or against. And it's a very rife topic and we, we we certainly have our opinions, but this is not what the show is about. But really what we're going to talk what we're talking about here though is the end impact is is that we're all being forced to do more with less as an organization. And so when we think about like the work that we do, that you and I do, you know, day-to-day, helping support, patient outreach, et cetera, and also at the same time trying to manage sort of the, the balance of how our employees are kind of reacting to this, we thought it would be good for us for us to maybe jump in and talk a little bit, we'll do this after the break, about ways that we could be more efficient with our marketing. And the way we are structuring the way we do our outreach, because certainly that's going to benefit the overall kind of employee health and happiness of our of our teams. And we'll do that right after this break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. google podcasts or your favorite podcasting platform this podcast series is brought to you by graystone.net bowstring and touchpoint media
1: so before the break we talked a little bit about the landscape you know that you know people are, are prioritizing uh, their personal lives their jobs There, you know there are a lot of folks out there quitting their jobs considering new options all that kind of fun stuff and as we think about you know what we do within an organization and as an organization, even with you know kind of in our departments, interdepartmental type stuff, it's interesting to me. I think that efficiency is always kind of part of that equation. You know we've we've talked about lean, six sigma through the you know there's there's the different kind of waves, right? And none of those are bad or getting things done or whatever, but people are always striving to be more efficient. And it used to be kind of centered around that first of the year, right? It was like a resolution thing, like, you know, inbox zero or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing (laughs) was. So I think we're always kind of going down that path. And I think even now we're starting to think because efficiency does have an impact on our personal and, and professional lives. You know, what are those things that we can, those guardrails, those those different things that we can put in place. And so good article here called Nine Tips to Boost Your Marketing Efficiency, artplusmarketing.com.
0: Wait, let me guess. Um, Marketing automation and artificial intelligence.
1: Yes. (laughs) Thanks for joining us.
0: Actually, it's not that simple. Right. Quite frankly, I think those things are great. But as we talked about in previous episodes, those things are maybe not ready quite yet for the complete automation. Uh, Clearly, if you have a good marketing automation program and you can use AI to kind of help improve some of those tasks, definitely use that. But for many of us who don't have those uh, capabilities, fully fleshed out to uh, help with our marketing communications, we're going to drill into some of these things that are going to be a little bit more softer skills, things that everyone can access regardless of your technology.
1: Well, the first one they talk about here is, um, you know, honestly, as I kind of look through here, it's like you could probably make a case for most of this stuff in your personal life as well. Uh (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's efficiency, right? Um, So the first one here is set realistic goals. I would even just shorten that to say set goals at all. Just you know objectives, goals, things like that. No, but but be realistic. Like, what are we trying to accomplish? You know, so uh, you know they're talking here about hey, before we start kicking off the next campaign, really sit down, take a deep breath, sit around with the team. What you know, what are we trying to accomplish?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Um, How how do we know if we accomplished it? Like these are two fundamental questions that I think. Uh, I think we're getting better. I think we're getting better about about doing some of this kind of stuff. It seems, but really, really important to uh, you know kind of think about the the end in mind. It's
0: interesting. One of the points they say in here is when you set realistic goals and jot them down, there are fifty percent more chances for you to be successful.
1: <laughs> well, there you go.
0: I'm not sure what that means. It's like does that mean 50% you won't be successful? I don't know. We'll think about that. But I think I think that's a good first step, right? Sending those realistic goals. The other thing is, and, and this is also very important for, the second point here is reassess your planning process. Obviously as marketers we know we can get better at planning. There's a lot of ways we do that. We can look back at past campaigns and understand how things work or you know try to really drill down on what are the objectives, what are we what are we trying to do, how do we measure it better, those sorts of things. But this article kind of doubles down on this and says you should plan, assess, plan again and then reassess. Because if you could do this, if you could start to understand your planning process better, it's going to make you that much more efficient. And in my own personal experience, I find that to be true because most of the time we spent time planning it rather than actually doing it.
1: Yeah. So it's refinement, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're, we're talking about here a little bit. The plan, assess, plan again, reassess. You know, I, I think the the interesting idea there is like, I, I don't know that you're ever done necessarily. So it's like, you know, what, you know, create a plan, work the plan, you know, kind of a thing. I think that makes, you know, certainly, uh, certainly a lot of sense, you know, they're talking here about sharing company goals with the team, you know, ensuring that all the marketing activities actually ladder up to that larger vision. I think that's really important. That's certainly. important. Yeah. And, and people do it to varying degrees. Sometimes it's just held at different levels, you know, title bands or something. So maybe that, that idea of communicating with the team is really something, maybe that's the takeaway for some folks here, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Next thing on the list: a daily marketing stand-up. I mean, I like comedy. I'm just not sure where how this fits into the. the model. <laughs> oh, just okay. Not stand-up comedy. Okay, I got it. What's interesting about this one, though, is is that uh, you've heard of stand-up meetings and things like that, right? Or daily huddles, or I don't know, whatever they may be. I do think our clinical counterparts probably do this better and have done this for quite some time. Shift change handoffs, the huddle meetings, the standup meetings, things like that, probably more so than the administrative side of the equation. Yeah, I think so
0: too. And, you know, we did talk about this back in some episodes we did around agile marketing, because this is a really good thing about, you know, a really good practice around doing standups, these 10 minute huddles, making sure everybody's in the loop, highlight key activities, but the, You know, it's important to keep them brief, quick, and do it as your team, the working teams, right? Just as updates. This is not like sort of the weekly update that you want to provide to them, maybe the marketing strategist of your team or the person leading the strategy. This is more of like when you're working, making sure you're getting those quick updates, alleviating any kind of barriers, and just making sure you're getting your work done for that day the next tip they say here is to make the right use of collaboration tools and automate repetitive tasks. Now, this is where that AI and marketing automation come into play here. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if your marketing team is really small or big. You need a way to keep them connected and engaged. So using things like collaboration tools, project management softwares, maybe even tools that help you edit documents. This is like, you know, Microsoft Teams comes into play, Google Docs or even Slack, all of those different types of of things that kind of come into play you want to make sure that you're using these tools the right way to help improve your processes. The last thing you want to do though, is implement a tool and then make that more laborious than the actual work itself to keep it up to date.
1: Don't get lost in the shiny object. So I'm bad about this, right? It's like, you see like, Ooh, that now that is a cool tool that does this one thing. You know, you know, I would just caution everybody against not making this, you know, the idea of collaboration tools, automation tools, things like that this really needs to be kind of a team approach uh, because what works for one may not work for another. And, not, you know, especially as you're starting to implement things for the first time, if you already got a process in place and new people join, well, they don't get to come in and uh, upend everything. But I think, you know, having the team involved and uh, kind of providing, you know, like h- how do we do this going forward, I think is is really important. Next one on the list, which would be like number, I don't know, what are we on? Like five-ish or so. Keep your meetings productive and not (laughs) soul-sucking. Oh, I love that. Man, (laughs) boy, that's a good one. Yeah, that is good. So, I mean, I think that everybody has a lot of thoughts around this. And they talk in here about like, if you just added up all the meetings you're in, how much time is that kind of a deal? Now, granted, I'm on the the uh, kind of advisory side of the equation. So that's just the nature of what it is that I do is have meetings (laughs) with people. So not entirely true there, but um, make sure they're productive. You know, I have found certainly that agendas help with this, uh, making sure that uh, maybe they they start and end on time because there's typically a meeting right after this and so you don't want that domino effect of like you know you're running five minutes seven minutes late you know all day long also agenda to start keep it within the guardrails and then obviously have somebody recap take notes just send out the next steps and confirm kind of well what's the takeaway here and what are we doing next i think is always really important
0: Such a good point. Those follow-up next steps, like a documented, that's what we talked about and agreed upon. That can make things more efficient. I remember back in the early days when Zoom was, you know, prior to the pandemic, they would cap you at 40 minutes on the free version of Zoom. I love that because then that gave you an additional 20 minutes to do your debrief and get ready for your next meeting, right? That's So you always had that kind of, that time.
1: Yeah. I mean, meetings really should only be 20 minutes and 40 minutes or 45 minutes or something like that. You know, having that built-in buffer. I know it's a little bit harder sometimes to, I don't know, mandate that or kind of set that up by default or something, but, but it would be a neat practice to get into.
0: So the next tip, and this one is also kind of direct and straightforward, but one that I often find myself not being able to do until I think about it, block your distractions. It was a lot easier back before we had smartphones and back before we were connected to the internet everywhere and we were working from home to, you know, not have those distractions. But now they're everywhere, right? It's everywhere. Your, your watch is messaging you. Your, you know, your phone is going off. Your email is going off and etc. cetera. <laughs> so they, the recommendation here is to maybe, you know, mute your phone or, or block on your calendar 45 to 60 minutes to focus on tasks that need to get done you know that's that old joke of like i had meetings all day today so now it's the evening time i can get to work you don't want to get there you want to try to block that be proactive you know i encourage my team to do that block time on your calendar to actually get the work done
1: i'm sorry i was making a chess move here <laughs> was that, yeah. Um, next one on the list, streamline your internal approval process. Again, this is an interesting one, um, just around people that make decisions or have to make decisions, not having a process in place where everything bottlenecks, you know, and I'm bad about that. So I'm trying to make sure things don't get stuck with me. And so again, what's the approval process? You know, is it, uh, you know, on the agency side, is it with the cl- on the client side? Is it individuals? Is it, you know, how, wh- what's the process here? And can we all get streamlined on the upfront? You know, I, I, we've done a pretty good job with this with some of our clients and to their credit, not ours of like online reputation management, for example, you know, we're, we're executing that for some organizations and we have the ability to when we see a review come in to respond to it without having to ask them every time. Right. Like we up front said, here are the common scenarios. It's wait time. It's billing issues. It's, you know, people were rude. You know, whatever the deal is, you know, when COVID came around, it was about visitation policies and things like that. So we would we would work with them up front to streamline that. Like, hey, what's the what's the response here? You know, just just give me an idea of what we're trying what we would need to tell these people. And then they trust us to run with that again, to their credit, and it really has streamlined that. Um, you know, made it made it a much more uh, manageable process.
0: Absolutely, I think too when you when you when you do that, when you streamline that internal approval process, a lot of times that means at least in my experience, right? It's like sharing it with the service lines or the clinical leaders if you're doing a marketing campaign and getting away from that, you know, 20 to 30 rounds of edits on the work that you do. It's like, how do you, how can you work with your clients to uh, you know, ensure that they're getting the right kind of content back to you right away so that you can get that their their input in and you can process that very quickly. So I think that's a big thing. They say here 92% of marketers cited approval delays as the top reason for missing deadlines not surprised we're getting close to the end here the eighth tip that they give here is around optimizing marketing efficiency by managing risk okay i love this topic because um this is something i've been talking about a lot lately internally if you've built a marketing strategy and you start executing, and are ready to launch. The strategies only succeed if you've spent time anticipating and mitigating the potential risks involved. So, one of the things that makes it really difficult for marketers is not understanding and managing those risks in advance. So, for example, if you're looking at something, you know, you've heard that term, right? Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Mm -hmm. Um, This really plays into, into kind of the marketing efforts you do. If you're looking, let's say, for example, at an advertising campaign, a digital advertising campaign for a service line, right? There are certain risks that you could take on that won't prevent you from going into market. You may want to say, well, maybe we don't have the right keywords. Well, that's okay. You can use that. You can use a period of time to do kind of testing around those keywords. You need to have a landing page. You need to have a trackable call to action, for example, all of those things. But so those things are heavier risk than lighter risk of a marketing tactic or a marketing, you know, campaign so to speak so when you start to look at your efficiency you want to start to look at those things that are high risk if you don't solve them high risk if you don't address them not just the tactics but in the processes right if if we don't have such and such looking at this material before it goes out is that a high risk or not that sort
1: of thing again understanding what the risk is right where where, where potentially do we have are, are we uh you know opened up And like it says, you know, talked about is, you know, being able to foresee, uh, in advance. So kind of plan in advance, kind of goes back to some of the streamlining, you know, it's like, Hey, if we can figure out, you know, where we're vulnerable and and, and that kind of thing and plan for it, it makes it, makes it much more, um, of an opportunity to, to be able to manage that Uh, last one on the list, go agile. And so they talk about the fact that marketing certainly has changed a lot in the last five to seven years. And one of those big terms and big trends has been agile marketing, which is kind of interesting, right? And, um, you know, it it really kind of values the adaptability, the responsiveness, those types of things over the, the idea of this long range planning, you know, so it kind of promotes this continual improvement. And, uh, you know, that continuation of of maximizing data and our insights and kind of the responses and things like that. So,
0: Yeah, it's really a fascinating topic. And it's one that we've talked about before. In fact, Reid, if you can recall back to January of 2020. Pre-pandemic times, Uh we actually did a whole episode related to agile marketing and sort of the ins and outs of agile marketing and what that all, all means. And because it was such a great interview and one of those that maybe got lost because of everything else that happened, we thought it would be good to surface one of the interviews we did with Alyssa Kleinman of Cypher Health. She and I had a chance to sit down back in January of 2020, but it's still relevant today about how she helped her organization transform to embrace agile marketing. And we went into the ins and outs of like, what does that look like? And so what we're going to do is we're going to do an encore run of that interview right after this break. I'm sure you'll learn a lot. And then Rena will be back afterwards to wrap up the show. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Expert section of the podcast. And today I am talking to someone that was introduced to me by a good friend, and I've had a couple conversations with her already, enough to know that she's an expert at the topic at hand today. And that's Alyssa Kleinman. Alyssa, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Chris
0: a lot of people listening in may not know a lot about you. Can you share a little bit about your background and your experience?
2: So my background is in B2B marketing, and I'm actually currently the VP of Demand Generation at Cypher Health. So really in my role and uh, in my career, I've been very focused on making sure that we stay top of mind for buyers, but not only that they're aware of what we do, but that they want to buy and purchase some of our technologies. Uh, I've you know worked in mobile advertising as well. And, uh, you know, I've really found a real passion in healthcare marketing and uh, what we're doing over at Cypher Health.
0: Can you tell people a little bit more about that?
2: So Cypher Health, we partner with healthcare organizations to engage patients inside and outside of the hospital. And we do this by providing technologies that are designed to foster meaningful experiences uh, by allowing patients the opportunity to express concerns. And then on the flip side, empowering providers to address them as quickly as possible. So you may have heard of some of our uh, technologies in the form of digital rounding applications or patient outreach that is really used across the country to improve outcomes and elevate patient and family experiences. You
0: and I were connected because I posted something on LinkedIn, a story about agile marketing. And I kind of asked out to my audience, Uh, Has anyone ever enabled agile marketing within their marketing, communication, sales departments before? Because I really wanted to get a good sense of that. You were uh, referenced to me as like a a person that might be a good um, expert on this. And I come to find out that you've implemented agile at your organization. Is that right?
2: That's correct.
0: So tell us a little bit about that. Like, what? Let's start at the beginning. Jump back to when it first started to come around and and how did you start to learn about it?
2: Being in the B2B marketing world and being closely aligned with what happens in the product team, I'd heard of agile processes before, scrum masters, all these really funny technical terms, but never really dove into what it meant or how it could be applied. And uh, about a year ago, it was presented to me and my team by a uh, wonderful and really expert marketer. His name's Mike DiPietro, and he came in and he said, "Well, have you ever heard about Agile for marketing?" And, you know, at that point, I couldn't even imagine something that developers utilize is something that could apply to a marketing team. You know, very different functions. But as we kind of peeled back the layers of, you know, what's Agile comprised of. Uh, there's a lot of benefit that product teams realize that also marketing teams can realize as well.
0: So your developers, your the people that are on the back end that typically know agile and scrum and all that stuff, they've been using that for years, and then suddenly you're being introduced to these concepts. I can imagine that must be pretty confusing to you.
2: It definitely was, you know, especially as you start hearing terms like scrum, you're like, who came up with this? This is just doesn't even sound fun at least if, if you're not a rugby fan it's one of those processes where uh, once you kind of pull back all of the the layers of the name itself it becomes much more simplified and at first it seemed a little overwhelming well how do we how do we start changing the way we work to fit this method but after after a few weeks maybe you know really even after the first two weeks we really realized how special this process could be and uh, the team was really bought into it
0: So you mentioned pulling back the layers. What did you start to discover? What was the first things? I I mean, I get that Agile is sort of project management, and we all do project management in our work. But where did it start to initially resonate with you in those first two weeks?
2: As you start to discuss Agile, it's important to understand, well, what are you really trying to achieve by changing how you work? The benefits that we were trying to achieve was just being able to better prioritize our work and create transparency for what we're working on, why we're working on it, and when we would work on it. I'm sure any marketers listening can understand where you know, so many people have great ideas and, and suggestions for what you could be doing, programs you could be running. It's really hard when you want to be a pleaser and you want to engage people in that, uh, in that day-to-day effort. But at the same time, if you're always listening to those requests, you never actually get the big projects done what's important. It's not urgent, but it's still important to do. And so that in and of itself is one of the biggest benefits of Agile is that you can really develop that sense of transparency into when things would happen and also help you and your own team prioritize your work. So that by far was the best piece that we were really trying to achieve and uh, the biggest focus that we had initially.
0: With every marketer, myself included, I have a hard time prioritizing all my work. I have a hard time actually knowing what's more important over what's, you know, how how other things are important. How does Agile help you with the prioritization?
2: When you look at uh, an Agile process, you break things down into what the larger, those big projects that you're talking about that you want to get done. They're called epics. For us, that may be uh, launching a new advertising campaign that's going to span multiple digital channels. This is something that'll take place over a series of months, both in the preparation and execution, and then the analysis. And so our epics are going to be tied directly to what our company's goals are. So that's the biggest, uh, I think, piece here is that you can really develop what's the most important thing to work on, because ideally, you're connecting with, well, what's the most important thing to the organization? For you, I, I know in the past, you've talked about aligning with patient experience. If that's a goal of your organization, your team, you'll want to make sure that you're prioritizing that work that aligns to that goal and helps you really meet those key metrics and those deliverables that that tie back to that. It really helps to see, oh, this project, I'd love to do it, but it doesn't really tie back to what we're supposed to be doing as an organization. So I'm going to actually deprioritize that in favor of this patient experience campaign.
0: So do you guys set up criteria against it or i mean I, and the reason again the reason why i'm asking is that within a marketing department at a hospital or health system it might be hard for us to align with should we do cardiac promotion you know heart care promotion over cancer promotion i mean how would you how would you assess that
2: the biggest thing is to bring those stakeholders right to the table with you have them help you understand what are they prioritizing? Because when you do that, you might find that actually the cardiac department, they're totally overwhelmed with visits right now. And instead, you really should be helping what's happening in orthopedics. By bringing stakeholders to the table, and you can do this, uh, it's recommended at a quarterly basis, so that you have everyone involved that helps add that transparency and really opens up the conversation to what, what should the marketing team be focused on? And then... By bringing those folks, having them involved, you're opening that dialogue, and that's sometimes the most important piece that you could do. Is just make sure that you keep those informed, and that they have a seat at the table too.
0: Putting them at the table, that is something that marketers don't do a lot of, at least in my in my experience. It's hard because suddenly now they come to the table with their set of requirements. Maybe they're even their thoughts about how best to do this. Well, you know, in in our world, we often say that. MD behind the doctor's name stands for marketing director. <laughs> How do you, you know, balance um, and and gather their input, have them engage in a productive way at the table?
2: I think that also stems to, you know, where do you start? And for us, we started by really trying to involve executive stakeholders first before moving down into maybe uh, what would be the equivalent of a service line director director in the hospital. So for us, starting at the C suite. And then, you know, it took probably four quarters before we were really ready to bring people maybe more at the VP or managerial level back with us. Mm -hmm. You don't limit, but you more focus your efforts because that allows you to be tied and more tightly aligned with what's happening at the C-suite. And they're going to be hopefully pushing those bigger overarching strategic goals that if you know that your team and what you're doing aligns well with that, it makes it much easier to bring more team members to the table because hopefully they're aligned with that too.
0: You're describing this as like quarterly meetings with executives, and it took almost a year. A lot of times when I hear Agile, I think about that as being something very fast, you know, two-week sprints, that sort of thing. Am I mistaken in terms of does Agile make you faster too?
2: It can. I think sometimes it's more asking the question, well, what are you being fast in doing? I think any marketer we always struggle with. Uh, there's so many great, cool things out there to do, new technologies to implement, new ideas to explore. You know, you're creative, we're having fun, and uh, you know, if you can help focus your efforts, you're going faster, but you're going faster in the right direction, and you're helping the whole organization move in that same uh, at that same pace. So, I think something that's been brought up uh, for us quite a bit is well, what does this tie back into? Why are you doing this? Is it because this is going to help bring more deals to the table? Or is it because you just think it's cool? And so if you can kind of take a step back and say, well, what's the ultimate goal of what we're trying to achieve? And uh, really bring folks together to uh, break down, well, what is it going to take to get there? It really does create a much better system in the long run. Because then at least you're moving fast towards the direction everyone's bought into.
0: I think I'm getting this now. Um, I'm not confusing the agile with being speed. It's actually being more efficient.
2: Exactly.
0: But still, you need to know what your ultimate goal or your epic, as you say, right, is so you can align those activities to that epic or to those epics, so to speak. Um, And I'm very careful to say that because epic in our world means something entirely different, (laughs) different. which by the way, side note, probably not such an agile organization. How do you know that the creative things that you're going to be doing or those different activities that you're going to be doing actually hit the bottom line? Do you have to be really rigid about measurement? Um, Tell me a little bit about how you find KPIs in this process.
2: Uh, I think similar to what you're doing already in your marketing efforts. And I think that's something that's a, a, maybe a, an agile myth is that you have to change everything that you're doing, uh, which is really not the case. It's more just creating a different organizational structure for it. So the same KPIs that you have for your uh, day-to-day programs or you know just overarching strategic goals that you might have as a, as a marketing team, you should still be tracking towards that within Agile. But... Make it a part of your tasks. So as you go into sprint planning, if you haven't measured something, make sure that you add, hey, analyze the results of uh, X campaign, whatever that looks like. That way, you, you don't miss that important step. And I think the best way, at least for us, for measuring, measuring agile was really just asking the team, how do you feel that this is going for you? And for us, it was so immensely positive that we knew we had to just keep investing in this time. And it's starting to become second nature for us very quickly and has helped us really optimize how we work as a team.
0: So you just said that you don't need to redesign your team. So you're not a certified scrum master or anything like that, Alyssa?
2: Some days I think I am, but I have not gone through that official training.
0: Was your team ever trained on how to use these tools?
2: Like I mentioned before, we have our product team also works within Agile Processes. And they already had a technology that they use. Um, so we were able to get onto their system fairly quickly. We didn't go through a sourcing process or anything like that. Um, and you know, it's very apparent that the tool is not meant for marketers, but it's easy enough for us to work within those boundaries. Just given that for us, it's it's a guideline versus needing to be super technical with everything that we do. You know, We use uh, t-shirt sizes to measure the size of a project, small, medium, large. <laughs> so... It makes, it makes it simple, uh, but it's not a perfect science. It took a few trainings for us. We had, as I mentioned before, a consultant come in who's extremely knowledgeable about how this has worked before and was not rigid and you have to do it this way. It's This is a recommendation, but you may do it differently based on how your team offer, operates. For example, his suggestion is to always have tasks be action-oriented. Instead of say saying blog post, you would say draft blog post on... Uh, upcoming flu appointments. Something a little more actionable uh, and action-oriented to make sure that you're tied back to your goals. Another suggestion, uh, for example, is to make your epics goal-oriented. But for us, that became a little too wordy. So it's kind of a mix between easily searchable versus goal-oriented.
0: When was that moment where you started to think about things a little bit different?
2: For us, being goal-oriented itself had been a mind shift that we were already on that journey, this helped us reinforce that on a more consistent basis. You know, we would start documents with, well, what is, what's our goal? Why are we doing this? But now instead of just starting a document that way, it's starting a task that way before we even open the document, knowing why you're going back to it. But I think really for us, outside of just that goal orientation, it's a matter of what what is your capacity to get something done? And uh, it's pretty incredible when you first start this process. Every time we have a new team member that gets onboarded, they always put in way more into their sprint than anyone could ever complete in a two-week timeframe. The biggest learning is, well, really, what can I get done in two weeks? You know, maybe some weeks you have, some sprints you have tons of meetings, so you really shouldn't commit to getting so much done because your capacity is still only 100%, but maybe 50% of that is being eaten up by those meetings.
0: And that might be another myth here of Agile that we're busting, so to speak. Because I think that a lot of times you want to load up your sprint with all these actions. And then as you roll into a new sprint, you have a huge backlog of things that are going to keep you busy. But you're saying that each sprint operates at a different pace, depending on variety of things.
2: Exactly, exactly. You know, as a In my role as pseudo-scrum master, I always have to ask the question before you even commit to what can be in your sprint is what is your capacity? And of course, there are things like vacations, whether that's company-wide or personal. But then on the flip side, it's, hey, you, you, you sound a little sniffly today. Do you think you might have a cold and things might come up in the next couple of weeks? You have to really kind of look at what is someone's real capacity from a different perspective than just what might be on their calendar.
0: So your role as a pseudo scrum master is also you're like a nurse?
2: <laughs> I, those those nurses are superheroes. I'm not even close to that, but uh, I try to be helpful. But, but all
0: those are factors in how you're deciding the capacity. And I think that's the hardest thing. And even today, as I sit here talking to you, I'm not really sure what my capacity would be. When you started this, were you kind of, a good estimator of your capacity or did you suddenly after doing this for a while, learn how to do this better?
2: Oh my gosh. I'm still horrible at, at knowing my capacity. You know, you never really know what might come up. And I think maybe this is a myth, but you really shouldn't max out your sprint. You shouldn't aim for a hundred percent because we all know that there's that pop-up meeting that comes in or that email that, that will flood your inbox or Twitter went down for the day and you're running around trying to figure out what you need to do to get back up, there's always going to be that 20 to 25% that you really just can never plan for. So if you ever try to do capacity planning and you're shooting for that 100%, you're always going to end up feeling behind. So it's really a difficult thing, I think, for for most marketers to get their heads around, which is don't plan every minute.
0: Well, you know, I think that as marketers... We overcommit. That's a natural thing. We just want to be there. We want to help. I think it's what you talked about earlier as being sort of the pleasing part of what we do.
2: Exactly. Um,
0: We want to do a great job. And overcommitting also is, in many organizations, many cultures uh, in a a company, committing to a lot of things shows that you have drive and you have desire. When, When others start to do their planning, what other tips do you give them The 25% rule is great. What other rules do you give them?
2: You know, I think it goes back to challenging each other in a very productive way. Uh, And especially if you're someone that is a manager or you're, you know, acting as a pseudo scrum master, it's okay to, to say, hey, you know, why is this in your sprint? You know, question so that you're doing it in a respectful way. But what you're really trying to get to is, is this something that is, either important or urgent enough to make it into the sprint and make it into what's a part of your capacity. And then you almost have to flip the culture, not on its head, but you have to encourage positive behaviors that allow people to have more flexibility within what goes on in a sprint. There are some folks that are very strict about what goes into the sprint versus what doesn't, versus uh, the way that you know our team likes to operate, which is more, you know if something gets added into the sprint, that's fine but you got to take something else out because you have to have that balance.
0: I also like the idea of where you're very positive and proactive, encouraging people to be more uh, accurate, right? With the work and the capacity that they can do. That's something, again, in health systems that I've worked at, not a lot of marketers get together and do that, right? Or not a lot of marketing teams get together and kind of, you know, give feedback on one another. Hey, you know, you really, overcommitted this week and you weren't able to accomplish this or or whatever was that a learning for your team as well?
2: You know, we have a, a a pretty open and transparent culture at the entire company. So for us, we didn't feel like we were behind in that, but I think similar to what you've you've touched upon, which is that idea of overcommitting or maybe even it's coming across barriers. For us, this might sound crazy, but we actually try every day to get together for 10 to 20 minutes to uh, do what we call stand up. It's meant to be really quick about what have you completed uh, since the last stand up, and what will you complete before the next one? And a big part of that is actually to uncover barriers. That could be something as simple as, hey, we are sponsoring a conference coming up and we don't have anyone to take the place of so-and-so. Well, all right, how are we going to address that? So that, that isn't something that's holding someone else up that you might be able to address and help help them break that barrier down and address that challenge. So as marketers, even if you aren't used to engaging with someone, you'd be so surprised at how much you could help them if you just knew what they were struggling with. Uh,
0: Has your team changed? I mean, was there suddenly new people showing up? You yourself call yourself a pseudo scrum master. Do you have like new members on the team when you moved over to agile? Or is it the same people?
2: No, you know, we've we've onboarded some new folks and uh, that was definitely interesting because we had all gone through one training together, learning what are the types of things that people might not be super aware of, what's not intuitive about the process. The first time that we had someone new to the process, we learned really quickly that there were those little tips and tricks that we had learned along the way that we had to do a better job of proactively, not just telling, but also showing so I think uh, we had had a new team member join not too long ago. And it was probably their fourth or fifth sprint. So, you know, they'd been on the team for a couple of months. All of a sudden, we looked and we said, you know, you're not supposed to, to book 100% of your sprint. Her eyes got so big and she goes, oh my gosh, I was going crazy because I just kept thinking I could never accomplish all of this. So we were able to take a step back and say, yes, I mean, at the end of the day, you know you're committed to you know, five hours of meeting a week, you got to account for those types of things.
0: When you first hear that, if you're not comfortable with that kind of open dialogue, you might get a little bit threatened by that. If you weren't in this agile environment, right, which is designed to have that constructive criticism. Is that fair?
2: Exactly. And I think one of those big myths, you know, big agile marketing myths, if you will, is that If it's just the marketing team doing it, only the marketing team has to know about it. And even now for us, not just when we have new people join the marketing team that are a part of the agile process, as we have new members of the greater Cypher Health organization, when we give them an introduction to the marketing team, we always talk about how we work in sprints. We don't necessarily go into the entire agile methodology, but we give them an idea for how we operate And how their requests and feedback fit into that overall structure.
0: That is something that sounds both intuitive, but also very hard at times. Because if you're trying to implement this in an organization that isn't agile, there might be a lot of resistance.
2: Absolutely. You know, you go from being a a team of people trying to accommodate requests, it must sometimes feel like immediately where you drop everything you're doing to accommodate someone else and their idea. And it takes a little while to, to shift away from that, where you're used to responding immediately, you might need to respond and say, great, I'll let you know how this goes during our next sprint planning session.
0: I've always wanted to say something like that. I will get to it when I'm ready. But you're saying it actually in a more formal process kind of approach, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: What other myths that we haven't covered today?
2: I think it might be a myth that agile is is cumbersome to implement. It definitely takes time. But I think really with the right resources, and the right amount of support, it can be really easy.
0: And part of that is making sure you're being thoughtful about how you roll it out and making sure that you are learning as you're doing it, because it sounds to me like it didn't really gel until you know, a couple months in. Is that right?
2: Exactly. No, you're 100% correct. And We work in an environment that is forward-thinking and innovative. Cypher Health is very supportive of every person at the company to try new things. So we already had an advantage starting. But then as a team, our culture is fostering learning and the ability to, to learn as you go. Not everything has to be perfect the first time around. And so with Agile, it's the same thing. You're completely changing a process and how you operate. So it was a very open dialogue between everyone on the team to say, well, what did you learn this week? And I think even even today, when we talk about how did your last two weeks go, when, when we start doing sprint planning, it's, you know what, I really, I bit off way more than I could chew. Or, hey, I actually had a ton of stuff pop up that's not in my sprint. And I really wish I had been a better planner for it. So we're, even today, we're still very open about what could we have done to make the last two weeks better or our sprint better reflect what our capacity is. Yeah,
0: that's that culture of always learning and, and I guess, failing forward.
2: Freedom to fail as well.
0: Freedom to fail. I like that a lot. I, I wish more times in my life I had the freedom to fail.
2: <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> you brought up uh, the idea of, of learning and I know in the uh, adult learning uh, episode you just um, you just had a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I think what's interesting about agile is that it also supports that learning in a few ways. Uh, one of them is that you know learning is so important in any role and any time you're developing your career or skill sets, it can be so hard to prioritize the training or maybe the projects that help you learn and grow. And that's one thing that Agile allows you to do is to prioritize some of that learning, that career development. But then on the flip side, you actually have a visual representation about your capacity and what you've accomplished. It's that visual to-do list almost on steroids. So those are two ways that I think Agile really does support that learning idea, uh, both in your career, but also in what you're doing and is it being effective.
0: Those are some really good tips, and I really appreciate the time that you spent today sharing with us uh, your own personal journey around um, Agile. You know, clearly it shows that at Cypher Health, you guys are doing some really interesting, great things there, not only in your marketing department, but also in your, your product department. If people want to learn a little bit more about you and also Cypher Health, what's the best way for them to reach you online, Alyssa?
2: best way to reach us, of course, is through our website. And that's cypherhealth.com, which I know that you guys will have in the show notes. And then if if you're looking to reach me, you're definitely welcome to reach out to me via email, which is just Alyssa at cypherhealth.com.
0: Well, Alyssa, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, It's great. It's not often that I have a pseudo scrum master that I could talk to. And we got really geeky. And I really appreciate the in-depth conversations we had about Agile.
2: Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure being on the show today, and uh, looking forward to speaking again soon. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters,
1: and what do I even say other than, hey,
2: <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed,
1: so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Special thanks to Alyssa for coming on the show. appreciate her and, and Cypher Health and all they do, and specifically her insights around agile marketing. So it was, a good, it was a good topic, relevant then, relevant now, and look forward to maybe having her back on sometime soon. Again, we mentioned earlier the website, touchpoint.health, and signing up for the TPS report. One other thing I'll call out about that weekly email, certainly there's the five articles to start your week. There are some quick links down at the bottom of that email uh, that would allow you to jump over and check out what upcoming industry education's coming, i.e. conferences and things like that. So you can click through their websites, sign up, just something a way to keep that kind of top of mind each and every week, just so you don't miss something. And uh, we'd certainly appreciate if you'd rate, review, subscribe, all that kind of fun stuff, wherever you happen to listen. All right. Well, let's do a couple of recommendations, and we'll button up the show.
0: <laughs> okay. Reed, I'm going to recommend a podcast that I recently got exposed to. I'm a big fan of, of music, but, you know, I was raised in the 80s, so kind of a, have a soft spot for 80s music. And I came across a podcast that's called Permanent Record, the Permanent Record Podcast. Hmm. And this podcast is a, a husband wife that look back at all the albums from the new wave and classic rock genres from they say the 70s, 80s and 90s. But I have to tell you, they focus a lot on the 80s. And they do a deep dive, a track by track deep dive of some of those classic albums. Of that you kind of define the generation of the 80s. And in you know, in my case, we're talking about, you know, artists like Tears for Fears and Depeche mm-hmm. Mode and Thompson mm-hmm. twins and things like that, right? It used to be it was passe to talk about you liking those kind of music from the 80s, the new wave music, but I totally, totally love them. And this is a great kind of way to call hearken back to that. Plus, they they have good really good rapport. They talk to each other. They bring up personal history. You know, talk about their first exposure to that album when they heard it. And uh, it was only like episode three, four, or five that I started to realize that they're married to each other. So they actually <laughs> kind of came together in the eighties in high school, and they've been together ever since. And it was, it's just great rapport. So anyway, if you like old music and you you know are interested in kind of like hearing history and also being reminded of some of the music, I recommend the Permanent Record podcast.
1: There you go. Well, keeping with the theme, I'll also recommend a podcast, which actually is not terribly serious, but but it is. A, it's a great listen. Comes out weekly. It's called the Nate Land Podcast, and I've recommended uh, comedian Nate Bargatze before. I think I recommended the Tennessee Kid was when I think his Netflix, his original Netflix special. Uh, guy's hilarious just my kind of humor really clean fun to listen to so if you haven't listened to it the tennessee kids are a great a great one and it's on netflix but he has a podcast called the nateland podcast hmm. uh, with him and a couple of other guys they sit around you can actually watch it on youtube if you prefer to you know watch some of their interviews that they have which is kind of fun he's got a neat studio set up That's really cool and um but it's fun it, you know it's nothing terribly serious you know, they're going through doing the different, you know, fun facts about the different states, which is kind of neat to listen to. We're like a, an episodes, uh, you know, only about a particular state. Um, anyway, they're just funny guys. They're just funny guys. And it's fun to listen to. So if you've got a commute, long commute or something like that, or you're going on a trip, those are some fun ones to download and listen to. So the Nate Land podcast with uh, Nate Bragazzi.
0: I understand you recently had a personal encounter with Nate playing golf with him, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We, we knocked it around the links a little bit. Uh, good guy. Really funny. <laughs> great golfer. Great golfer.
0: That's great. I'm going to have to check out his podcast. I think he's really funny. So
1: yeah, for
0: sure. For sure.
1: All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. This is uh, another great one. Certainly we can all stand to be more efficient, more nimble. Uh, and this will be a, uh, you know, this is one of those topics that kind of never goes away. Right. So It's not like somebody's, we're going to fix this at some point. It's a great thing to keep top of mind. Again, certainly appreciate Alyssa and her time, but uh, thank you all for listening. So for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.